Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I am your host, Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director at the Pine Hill Group, and this is the show where we go a little bit deeper behind the numbers to understand what's really important in business. Today, I've got a very interesting guest. Uh, he's a Vice President of Shelter Structures, and his name is Gregory Jones. Gregory, thanks for joining us. Sure. Before we dive into your background, which is absolutely fascinating, tell the audience a little bit about Shelter Structures and what your role is there. Right. Shelter Structures is a company that makes steel-framed, fabric-covered structures. Effectively, we can cover any process. And so oftentimes, you'll find uh, companies that have a process that needs to be covered because, for example, aircraft. They do better when they're housed as opposed to having electronics baked in the sun all day long. So we come in, we work with the customer as a design-build firm. We engineer to the environmental loads that that uh, actual location will see, and then we'll build them a shelter that can withstand uh, you know, the wind forces, the, uh, the snow loads, if that's appropriate. And, uh, you know, and that allows that customer now to, to not have the environment as a distraction with what they're doing to, to go about their core business each day. Yeah, I think we've got some images to show of, sure. of what you're talking about here, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if we can roll those yeah. now and have uh, Greg just talk a little bit about what we're looking at. Yeah, so real quick, that's a, a composting facility, about 50,000 square feet that we did down in Florida. So that's uh, in a, a hurricane wind zone area. So all using hot dip galvanized steel, all using heavy duty architectural fabric. Um, you know, that's a, a job where the customer wasn't really certain what they were going to do. Uh, and so we worked with them to help develop that design down there. About 470 feet long, about 40 feet high at the back uh, for that one. But just another angle, it's a similar property, also a composting facility. Um, you know, and again, just then that's in a case where you can see we work with them to help them develop their uh, heating ventilation uh, needs in terms of you can see the louvers on there, uh, the big fans on there. You know, that develops, uh, drives needs for makeup air and things like that. So it's a whole lot more complicated than a tent, which people tend to think of them as. Oh, yeah. So that's just an inside view there showing the, all of the, um, the processing that they're going to do there in the future. Uh, warehousing space there so the neat thing there unfortunately the lights are on but without the lights even in the daylight you get enough light inside there to allow uh, workers to pr proceed about their daily job without needing that so you can save that electricity um, you know and create that nice that nice ambient light experience inside a translucent fabric shelter and these are all weather resistant obviously sure yep this is a neat shelter we did it's um, uh, a private sector organization building an airship. So that shelter there is 300 feet long. It's 90 feet high. Uh, so the wind loads, you can imagine, get pretty strong up at that height. And if you jump to the next picture, you can see there that last part of that building actually rolls on a track about 300 feet long. Uh, that's a project where we worked with the customer. Uh, for budget reasons, they chose to uh, not use a traditional aircraft door, so we actually have that shelter that will open up, and that allows them to, to pull their airship out. So, and that's still in process. Our portion of it is effectively done. Um, I can't wait to see the customer actually bring their process to life you know, using our shelter. And what's the uh, time to completion once you get started on one of these things typically? Right. We typically will do um, about four weeks worth of design and engineering and then you'll see somewhere between in anywhere eight to 12 weeks in terms of uh, acquiring the materials and fabrication. And so, for example, the big shelter there took about two and a half months from the time we showed up. Uh, on site to, to finish that out and then you know there's as always there's some punch list items that that take a little longer but right. substantial completion for that that was in about two and a half months good stuff 
One of the things that really excited me about having you on the program is your background. Mm -hmm. um, so I've known you for a while now, and I'm gonna let you tell the audience a little bit about your background, but just to kind of set it up a little bit, former military, naval okay. instructor, pilot, uh, and also commanding officer, which in the military translates into basically a chief executive officer in the business world. And uh, maybe there's a little misconception, but as, as a commanding officer, you're responsible for obviously managing teams like a CEO might, but also budget responsibility. Talk a little bit about right. your background and those duties, if you will. Sure. Um, I'm honored that you, that you think that my background is so unique. There's just tons and tons of people out there that, that follow this pathway and, and all of them are great people. Um, it was a privilege to wear the uniform and uh, I got to do that for uh, about 23 years. Um, and uh, you are correct in terms of uh, the, the C, uh, commanding officer level, um, you know, what I really like to talk about is accountability and it really focuses accountability for anything and everything that, you know, your unit uh, can do. And, uh, you know, I told you, I shared briefly with you that literally the day of my change of command, we had an alcohol-related incident out in town. Um, I didn't know the people yet, and yet I'm responsible for it, you know, for dealing with the consequences of that and, and, uh, and moving forward with it. In terms of the budgeting, um, we absolutely have responsibility for what I would call more like cost accounting. You know, you're given a, a, an operating target, a budget of money to operate your unit on, and you're responsible for accounting for that. You have a fairly decent uh, leeway of where you, you slice and dice that budget to spend it. Um, you know, it really is more about, uh, again, I'll go back to that accountability word that you need to be able to justify to your superiors and ultimately to the American people that you have spent the resources that you have been given to the best of your ability uh, to accomplish the mission, which is always challenging to uh, turn into, you know, like a, a 10Q or a 10K report for a stockholder because you're measuring readiness, which, you know, until you find yourself challenged in that way, you don't really know whether or not you've measured up. But, um, you know, there are some pretty good metrics out there that we, we train to and, and, you know, both in terms of maintaining our material um, and even more importantly, maintaining our sailors uh, and then soldiers, airmen, Marines across the board. Okay. We're going to talk about some of the performance tools that I know you like to utilize a little bit later on mm -hmm. in the conversation, but really want to start off at the top level. So CEO, commanding officer, it all starts with the strategic vision. Mm -hmm. So how do you marry the, the strategic vision components going from military into the business world? Well, one of the things that, you know, again, as I said, behind the scenes, you go through your career in the military and there's a lot of people who've come before you that have given you some really good ideas and tools to use. You know, for example, on day one, you're a division officer. Here are your tools, move forward and take care of your sailors in this case to do that. Um, what you end up doing though is that as you get to the other side of that and you move into the private sector, you find that you still have the same situation. You have people that you're working for that have the same types of motivations, the same types of challenges. And the same thing that worked in the military, which is literally putting up a written strategic vision so that everyone from your lowest sailor to your most senior person in your organization, they knew what does this organization expect of me even when there's no one here to ask, you know. So, and that same written uh, cultural document that a private sector company has 
that does the same thing. When your value creator has to make a decision and there's no foreman there looking over his shoulder or her shoulder, they have the guidance of what's going to best serve that company's um, strategic vision. Great. We've got to take a quick commercial break, pay a few bills. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. My guest is Greg Jones of Shelter Structures. Uh, this is the pro part of the program where we talk about the bottom line, where my guest gets to offer their tips, tricks, insights to things that business owners and business leaders can utilize. So, Greg, I'm sure you've got a couple of tips that the audience would benefit from hearing. Sure. Thanks, Dave. Um, as I said earlier, when I left the military, I jumped into a graduate degree, and um, there I did an MBA and a master's in finance, and I ended up in operations and manufacturing. And operations and manufacturing is all about managing your people. So to do that successfully, I know you talk about that in your book, um, you know, you have, it has to be done transparently. It has to be done where the people feel that it's done fairly. Um, so some of the tools that I use, literally I draw from my history in terms of personnel and performance management, getting to know the people. I, I call it my division officer's notebook homework. Um, you know, personnel management. I have a form that works through whether it's a senior person or a junior person, but it measures them you know, almost 360 degrees, both with their input to me as well as my input to them. And again, reference back to that strategic vision. So everything that's a metric that we're looking to achieve is focused back towards that. Um, so, and I've, I've seen it successfully. It's, uh, you know, on the great side, it's, it's helped train people to the next, next level of, of performance. On the, on the maybe not so positive side, it has helped us avoid uh, legal entanglements um, with uh, sometimes adverse personnel actions. Gotcha. Before we go any further, I want to make sure that our audience knows how to contact you. You've got a lot of great insights. This program goes very, very quickly. But if anybody wants to contact you to pick your brain, sure. how's, how can they contact you? LinkedIn is easy. Gregory Jones on LinkedIn. And my email address is gregoryianjones at gmail.com. Say that um, one more time. Gregory. gregoryianjones at gmail.com. And uh, the phone number is 215-262-9164. So Very I'm always good. happy to share. I get excited about this kind of stuff. So I'm always happy to share those kind of ideas. And you'll grab a cup of coffee with anybody, right? Absolutely. Pretty much. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. So thank you for that. I've seen you have a little tool that you use. You talk about the performance measurement tools. Yeah. Um, you've got something that you like to utilize and kind of alluded to it. Do you want to spend just a minute and, and talk about some of the key points around that tool? Um, um, well, I've got a couple of them, so now I'm not sure which one you're talking about. But um, uh, hit them all. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, you know, one of the uh, most important things that um, that I found is a lot of. I mean, nobody gets up in the morning and says, "I'm not going to do a good job," or "or I'm going to be less than a great team player." But we don't, and myself included, we don't always know how to best accomplish that. So, if you can develop a dialogue with with your people and say, Dave, what do I need to do better? And I'm going to say, Dave, here's what I think you need to do better. And as the senior person, sometimes you get to sort of direct that. Again, hopefully it's done you know, fairly and transparently. But if you lay those out in terms of the, the skills, you know, everything from teamwork, professional competence, uh, you know, the ability to communicate, and you, know, you subjectively uh, you know, apply your, your best objective opinion to what can be sometimes subjective criteria, um, but especially if it's done as a, as a group, uh, a senior leadership group where, you know, yourself, the personnel's direct superior, you know, so you begin to triangulate pretty accurately on what that person's performance is. Uh, and then you have to have a really honest co uh, conversation with them, you know, and it's, that's all it is. It's a conversation, you know, so um, 
It's you know, honest. It's transparent. Yeah, you, you go in there. You know, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Uh, you're not trying to put one over on me. The goal here is that we're trying to meet the strategic vision. Yep. You know, so. so let's talk a little bit about teams. All right. So teams in the business world, it's not an easy thing. And in your military career, obviously, teaming is critical, uh, especially as a naval pilot. Um, organizations that are trust-centric yeah. tend to outperform other business. Obviously, yeah. as a naval pilot, you've got to trust your, your colleagues. Yeah. Talk about trust, teams, military business. Sure. Now I'll ask your, your gentleman to put that picture up, if you okay. can. Um, in, in terms of that, yeah, you're absolutely right, Dave. The, um, you know, first of all, it's not about the person. So the reason I put this picture up is uh, this is make, I'm flying the airplane here. We're flying into Kwajalein Island. For all the Part 121 aviators out there, we'll know we're not a stabilized approach here. But my crew trusted me. Um, we rolled out on final, and I lined up on the taxiway. Uh, so I, I brought this picture to illustrate my whatever it takes point. You know, uh, you mentioned if I'm a passenger on this plane at this point, I'm looking out the window and I can see the fish. You can and see I, the I'm, fish. I'm starting to yeah, pray. Exactly, but um, you know, you got to get it done. So uh, that's a case where my crew trusted me. Uh, we brought the airplane in safely and, and had a great time and, and did what we needed to do. Um, but you're absolutely right, and, and trust has to begin with the leader. You know, if, if you extend that, that, that trust to your people, um, yes, eventually you'll get burned somewhere, but most of the time not. You know, most of the time, as I said, most people don't get up in the morning and intend to do not a good job. Yeah, so it's, it's important to trust first as opposed to wait for somebody to try and establish that trust. I think if you're going to be a forward-leaning organization, yes. If yeah. you're going to wait, you're going to find yourself always behind the power curve. Yeah. So let, let's talk about another thing that's pretty a hot topic in business leadership and strategy, and that's emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. What do you think that really means? How do you get it, and how do you use it? Well, if you're like myself, you read a lot and you realize that it's not intuitive. But fortunately, there's a lot of reading out there that you can do to learn about it. Um, the key with that is understanding, try, you know, there's that old phrase, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Really try to understand what motivates somebody, um, you know, and then be aware of that. The other thing to be aware of is not every person is going to have the same dreams, desires, and goals. And so you're going to have folks out there who are your, your A drawer people, your B drawer, your C drawer, and that's okay because you need all of them. Um, you know, you, you, the person that's going to be your great company spokesperson is probably not the person you want, you know, on a repetitive manufacturing line type process. Somebody who's very meticulous, focused, and attention to detail, that is a great place for them to be. And as the leader, you need to understand that, you know, that maybe not everybody, you know, what is it, the, uh, the one about the... Uh, put the right people on the bus, you know, there's that business book out there. And put them in the right um, seat. Exactly. So, you know, you need to be emotionally intelligent enough to understand that your gut, you know, may not be the best place to look, you know, triangulate it a little bit, uh, and then try to put those people where they're the most happiest. Again, focus back to yeah. your strategic vision. You know, you got to always give them focus. So further to teaming, I want to get a little bit specific with millennials, if you, if you wouldn't mind, mm -hmm. if you have a thought. Uh, a lot of managers that I talk to are, are frustrated by millennials. Uh, my personal view is that millennials have it right, that they really just want more than just a job. They're looking for a vision, a mission, something they can buy into. What's your guidance on managing millennials? Well, it's I had one. He's a great young man, um, but then he left my company after only like nine months. And the reason is because I didn't manage him correctly. He was a couple of layers below me, and the person that was his direct report or direct leader uh, was three generations older than he. You know, and so the what I would say is, 
again, back to the principles of good servant leadership, it's, it's communication. You have to talk with them. You've got to give them the same kind of expectations that you apply to everybody, but you need to hear what their inputs is. And again, I'll reference it back, broken record, your strategic vision. So what, how do you help me get to there? you know, and hear what they have to say. And if the answer is, I don't know, you know, then you can share some of your, you know, experience. And ultimately, it might not be a good fit, but better to have that conversation early. Yeah. Um, and frankly, don't, don't disguise it, you know, because I think most people are fairly good, especially if you don't get too far in. You know, you don't want to be six months into employment and then say, this isn't working out. Yeah. It's bad for you, it's bad for them. So you talked about servant leadership. Um, Simon Sinek wrote a great book called Leaders Eat Last. I don't yeah. know if you've read the book, yeah. but I'm pretty sure you know the term from the military. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that term and what that really means in business? Um, yeah, as the CEO, that's great. You get a fancy parking spot. Um, you know, you're the, the picture that's in the, the, the 10Q or 10K and all. But the bottom line is that all of those people they make that value happen. So you can think of an organizational chart, but instead of being a, a triangle like this, you know, you flip the triangle upside down and you are the person that provides the resources, removes the obstacles, you know, gives that team everything that they need to perform. But at the end of the day, it all rests on, on the CEO's shoulders to do that. Um, and that's a, a critical case of where walking the walk, you know, and, and Cynic talks about this a little bit, um, you know, t for a CEO to say, hey, we're going to have this great human uh, resources program, but I'm not going to participate. My C-suite's my not going to participate. That's a very clear message to everybody that this is lip service. It's, it's yeah. not the credibility, integrity, and trust won't be there. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about M&A. So, as you know, uh, most deals don't actually afford the synergies that most buyers are trying to achieve. Uh, the data that I've read talks about that one of the big reasons is the integration of culture, the lack mm -hmm. thereof. So, if you're offering advice to our viewers who are CEOs who are in the private equity space, for example, who are trying to maximize the value of a business, and who isn't, right? right. What would you counsel them? I mean, there are times when, again, if the, cold, the searches for the dollar, you know, they're, they're, you know the, the current practice works. But if the goal truly is to create an entity that is greater than the sum of its parts, just don't underestimate the challenge of the integration portion of it. And the best way to go about making such an integration successful is to directly engage with those people at all levels. You know, you need to hear from them. Um, Oftentimes, it's the person that's at the gamba that knows best how to improve the process. Um, you know, so to just treat the lower level people as you know numbers on a spreadsheet, you're probably not going to be set up to be successful in the long run. Yeah. So there's a recurring theme, uh, an undercurrent, if you will, in the entire conversation here, and it's alluding to the corporate culture. So you've you've touched on a lot of component parts of corporate culture. What haven't we talked about yet that you feel is really critical in instilling a good corporate culture to lead to a productive workforce? Probably accountability. You know, that, that factors in things like integrity. It factors in communication. You know, I'll be the first to admit that I wake up every day knowing that I'm not good at it. And so I strive to try to be better every day. Um, you know, but when you're accountable for something, people understand that you're human too. You're going to make mistakes. Um, as long as every day you're striving to do the right things uh, and be accountable for your actions, then you know, it's really hard to be accountable to a group of people and behave badly you know, for very long. I, I don't think it lasts 
you know, eventually it, it comes to a bad end. Yeah, so that's not just a part of a performance review that happens every X number of months. That's sort of a daily look in the mirror kind of thing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. talk a little bit about that. What, what can a manager do to try and instill the accountability component? But I guess more importantly, the candid communication, and it all comes back to trust, right? Because it's got to be a really tough conversation if you're a young employee or even an older employee, and you're going to walk into your manager and, and have that kind of open dialogue where right. you're admitting weakness. Sure. Um, so that kind of a dialogue is going to come later in the process. You know, folks are going to step back, as I said, from the CEO step. You've got to sort of make that first uh, uh, initiative to trust. Uh, there are ways to do that to allow people to provide you that feedback. You know, the easy one everybody always thinks of is the CEO suggestion box. Um, what's critical is that the information that goes into it has to be publicized, regardless of how negative or how bad it is, because as soon as it's not, Whoever it is, they've got their little group of people, and they're going to say, hey, I submitted something, and it just sort of you know, went into the black hole. Um, so as a CEO, you're going to hear some things that you're not going to like, um, you know, but you're also going to see things that you do. But more importantly, no one in your organization is going to be able to say that I submitted a suggestion, and it, got, it just got flushed. You know, so the CEO has to take the time to write or, or work with his C-suite, his cadre of leaders, to say, hey, here's a response. Sometimes responses don't really merit, I'm sorry, sometimes suggestions don't really merit a response if it's sort of a flippant thing. But if it's, if it's a genuine effort, you know, even if the answer is no, you say, hey, noted, thank you for doing it, and here's why the answer is no. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of time. You know, it's like strategic planning. Almost every one of your viewers, I know, always does, it's high on our list of things to do, but it's probably one of the last things that a lot of people actually take the time to do because there's always a pressing urgency of the day that seems more important. Right, yeah, we're all putting out fires. But it's not just that the suggestion box is going to get full, but now in the day of the online um, boards and so forth, people will post the anonymous reviews of your business and damage your reputation. Right. So uh, I'm being told that we're running out of time here. Okay. Uh, it went really, really fast. Always insightful chatting with you. Uh, I thank you for joining us. Hope to have you back again to continue the conversation. There's a lot of things we didn't get to cover today. Sure. So today my guest was Greg Jones of Shelter Structures. I'm Dave Bookbinder of Pine Hill Group, and this is Behind the Numbers. We'll see you again next time.